The Lord had regard, it says, for Abel's offering, but for Cain's, no regard. I shall be hidden from your face, Cain said, and his face was fallen. Did you notice that in the text? The face of Cain fell again and again. Today is all about faces. So I want you just to consider the joy of the human face. Think of all the musculature our Lord has put there under the skin of your face, how it connects to all those facial bones, and think of all the different permutations and combinations that can be seen in the human face. The human face is that place where your inner thoughts, where your inner feelings are revealed, isn't it? You can keep a blank face, but even a blank face says something about you. And God has made it to be that our faces are the places where our inner things are put on the outside. So the human smile is a wonderful thing, and the frown is just as expressive. A look of serenity might come over a little child as they sleep, and parents enjoy that look on the face, and just as much as they enjoy the quizzical look that comes over a learning child's face. It's in the face and in all the different expressions that the face can make that we see one another, right? Just think of what would happen if we were always veiled, if we were always covered up. If I could never see your face, I might hear your words, but I'd always be wondering, do I understand those words rightly? The face gives the feeling of the words. The face that goes with the words is all part of the way God has designed us to communicate with one another. And what we hear in our readings this morning is that our faces and everything that they represent, all of the emotions, all of the feelings, all of the expressions that come out in the face, those things are a reflection of how we see God's face. Our faces reflect the face of the Lord. Now, it's different with God, of course, right? Because God is spirit. The Father does not have a body. The Spirit does not have a body. And the Son, in his condescension, has taken on a human form. But God does not, strictly speaking, have muscles of his face. He doesn't have bones that connect to skin. So when we're talking about the face of God, we're speaking of how he regards us. That word that got translated as, the Lord had regard for Abel and did not have regard for Cain means to see. The Lord saw. He looked upon Abel and he smiled. We can put it that way. The Lord smiled at Abel's offering, but he frowned at Cain's offering. And just so, the way that God looked at them, the way that the face of God shone on Abel and the way it shone on Cain became how their faces were in the world. We don't have much of a description of Abel, do we? He's like a shadow that quickly passes, or like a cloud. That's what the name Abel means. It's a mist that's here one minute and gone the next. But I bet if we were there in the garden or outside of the garden, just to the east of Eden, you would have seen on Abel's face a smile. After all, how can you not smile when the Lord smiles on you? How can you not be glad when the one who created heaven and earth, the one who holds all things in his hand, looks on you with regard? How can you not be glad, right, when the Lord accepts you, when he regards you, when he honors you, when his favor rests on you? 
And so I would imagine that Abel was a man who was quick to smile. The muscles of his face knew that way to smile. It was a habit for Abel, I'm sure, but for Cain, it was just the opposite, wasn't it? The Lord had no regard for Cain's offering because Cain offered up that offering, Hebrew says, without faith. Cain thought he could bribe God. He thought he could buy God off. He thought, well, if I give God something, then he has to do something for me, right? That's how it works. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And so there was no love for Cain to the Lord. It was just a matter of obligation, something he had to do. And the Lord has no regard for that kind of thing. And because the Lord looked on Cain with a frown, Cain looked on the whole world with anger. He was full of wrath. He was full of bitterness. He was full of envy for his brother. Maybe you know those feelings. I'm sure that you all do. Cain knew them well, and he gave himself over to it. God spoke to Cain, and he warned him, right? Listen to the words that the Lord said to Cain again. Behold, sin is crouching at your door like a dog. It wants to pounce on you, Cain. You must rule over it. But instead of ruling over that dog, instead of ruling over sin, Cain said, why should I rule over that? I kind of like that feeling. I kind of like the power that anger gives me. Maybe you know that feeling too. Anger can give you that sense of power. It can give you that sense of righteousness. It can give you that sense of energy, of strength. And in our anger, we can do powerful, amazing things. But those things will always be destructive. That's what we see in Cain. See, Cain and Abel both had the same God. They both looked on the same God, but they saw a very different face. And I wonder, don't you, I wonder how it was that Abel knew that his offering was regarded by God, that he was accepted, and how Cain knew that he wasn't accepted. I think this morning we can imagine it this way. They were kicked out of Eden, right? They were just to the east of Eden, but Eden was there. It wasn't gone from the earth. And there were cherubim guarding the Garden of Eden, preventing Adam and Eve from going back in and preventing Cain and Abel from going back in. But where do you think they offered their sacrifices? Where would you offer your sacrifices? I would go right there to the gate of Eden. And there they would have seen the cherubim with their four faces. That's why we have up in our stained glass window these four creatures around the throne of God. In the book of Ezekiel, the cherubim are described as having these four faces. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the reason that Abel knew he was accepted and Cain knew that he was not is because when they offered up those offerings, they saw either the smile of the cherubim or that look of anger. See, it's one thing to think, I wonder what God thinks of me. I wonder if the Lord smiles on me or if he frowns down on me. But it's another thing altogether to actually know it. And God does not want to keep his face hidden from you any more than he wanted his face hidden from Cain or from Abel. God wants his smile to shine down on you. He wants his countenance to be known by you. And he even wants you to know when his face has fallen on you. You dads know this, don't you? You don't only want your kids to know when you're happy with them. Of course, it's your desire, it's your joy as a father to see your children doing the things you want them to do and to smile on them, to tell them that you're proud of them. But what do you do when they're not doing those things? 
How do you teach them to walk in the ways that are pleasing to you? You can use your hand, but you can just as easily use your face, can't you? God has made your human face to do this very thing, to show disfavor with a frown. And sometimes, dads, you need to frown at your kids, right? Sometimes you really honestly do, so that they may know the joy of your smile even better. That's why the Lord frowned on Cain, not because he said, Cain, you've just always been a bad guy and you're always going to be a bad guy and I want nothing to do with you. But the Lord frowned on Cain so that he might change his ways, so that he might come again to the gate of Eden and offer up a better sacrifice that would be acceptable. Today is all about faces, the Lord's face and your face. And we see in the gospel reading Jesus speaking of these two men, very much like Cain and Abel, right? You wonder if he's riffing off of this story of Cain and Abel. I want to suggest to you that he certainly is. In the background of this Pharisee and this tax collector, we see Cain's frowning face and we see Abel's smiling face. But Jesus doesn't mention faces, does he? Instead, he speaks of the eyes, Those two things go together, though, don't they? It's in the eyes that we especially see the joy of our friends, or it's in the eyes that we see the anger of one another. And so notice where the eyes of the Pharisee go and where the eyes of the tax collector go. The eyes of the Pharisee go up. Oh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like all these other terrible people, all these extortioners, all these unjust people, all these adulterers, all this riffraff, all this scum. You know, like that guy back there, the one who's sitting in the back corner of the church, that tax collector. I thank you, God, that I'm so wonderful. Aren't I great? Here's a man whose face is lifted up, lifted up in pride, lifted up in vulgarity. And the tax collector is just the opposite. The tax collector's eyes are going down to the ground, right? It says, Jesus says in his parable, he would not even lift his eyes up. Instead, he looked down and said a very simple, very humble prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Whose face would you like to reflect I'm sure that the Pharisee looked really proud and really wonderful, and I'm sure his face was beaming, right? I'm sure he was smiling as he said those words. He was pretty satisfied with himself. But you've seen those kind of smiles before, haven't you? They're the kind of smiles that are gross. They're the kind of smiles that are fake. They're the kind of smiles that are phony. Because as much as the Pharisee can say those words, all that stuff that he's saying, all this stuff he's so proud of, it is quickly passing away. And so I think Jesus intends for us to react to his words just the way we react. Oh, I don't want to hear that guy. I don't want to look at that guy. Pride is gross, isn't it? Pride is disgusting. Pride is revolting. It's good to say that. It's good to have that reaction when you see it in others and when you sense it in yourself. Do not be satisfied with yourself. Do not be proud of yourself because you have nothing so wonderful to be proud of. Instead, look at this tax collector with his eyes going down to the ground and listen again to his prayer. God Be merciful to me. It's a great prayer. 
that prayer, be merciful to me, it has this wonderful Greek word in it, this word that means, God, be propitiated to me. God, be expiated to me. Be propitiated to me. And that's a great word, but we don't know what it means, do we? So we have to just take it at my my, um, telling you that it's a great word. But here's what it means, right? It means, God, may your face be smoothed out towards me. The pagans had this word. They had this idea that if they offered enough sacrifices to their gods, they could kind of twist the arms of their gods. If you've ever read anything about the Greeks or about the Romans, you know how they just piled up the sacrifices and thought, hey, if we give Zeus enough, if we give Jupiter enough, then instead of frowning on us, he'll smile on us. They thought they could smooth God over. Well, that's what this man prays for. And the truth is, we can't smooth God's over. You can't take the frown off of God's face by doing anything that you do. You can't earn his favor, but you can certainly pray for it. And the wonderful thing that we see here in this parable is not only the eyes of a proud man and the eyes of a humble man, but do you see where the eyes of Jesus go? Who is it that Jesus looks on with a smile? I tell you, this man, this man who prayed for God's mercy, he went home justified. He went home regarded. He went home accepted. He went home with my smile shining down on him. God does not want his face to be hidden from you, and he does not want his face to be angry towards you. He wants you to go home today justified, accepted, regarded, seen, approved of, justified by grace. God wants you to go home this day knowing that his favor is shining on you, not because you've figured out how to smooth over his face, but because you know that Jesus Christ has come to smooth out all the wrinkles of his father's face. Jesus Christ has come to be the offering. He has come to be the sacrifice that God smiles down upon. And when he offers that sacrifice at Calvary, he is doing it in your place. See, Abel offered up this substitute, one of the things from his flock. He offered up this substitute in his place. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for you. He has offered himself in your place as your substitute so that, so that when God the Father looks down on you, he doesn't see a proud Pharisee. He doesn't see Cain just going through the motions, but he sees his own son. And God the Father smiles on his son and all who are in his son. This parable kind of ends on a cliffhanger, doesn't it? Many of Jesus' parables do this. They come to the end and you want to know what's the next chapter? What's going to happen after that? I want to tell you this morning that Jesus does that on purpose so that you can see that this parable continues in your life. You are those who are to figure out what it means to live under the smile of God. God wants his face to smile down on you, and he wants you to actually know it. He wants you to actually be able to feel it. He wants you to actually be able even to taste his smile. And so his son has come and given us a word to speak in this place. His son has come and given us a bath to wash in this place. His son has come and given us a meal to take and eat, to take and drink, and feel in those things the smile of our Father the favor of God, the acceptance of the Lord of heaven and earth. And if you have that acceptance, if you have that smile, 
well, then how can you not go through life with the same thing on your face? Life under the smile of God is a life full of smiles. Now, I don't say it's a life full of ease. There will be hardships, there will be difficulties, there will be pains, even as there were for Abel there in Eden. But wherever you go, you know this, that you have the smile of your father shining down on you. You have this as a certainty. This is the certainty of faith, the certainty of being justified, not because of something you have worked up, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you have that certainty. And if you don't understand how wonderful that is, well, then only consider the contrast. Life under the smile is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a peaceful thing. It's a certain thing. But life under the fallen face of God is a life of pain. It is a life of anger. It is a life of contempt. It is a life that is full of a false security, and security is a very different thing than certainty. Just think of what that tax collector's life looked like. Just think of how he passed through this world, thinking that God was smiling on him because of how much better he was than everybody else. You know what he saw every time he looked around? He saw people who he had to put down. He saw people who he had to hold in contempt. He saw people who he had to think the worst of because only then, only when he thought how terrible everyone else was, could he think that he was any better. That's life under the frown of God. It is a life of anger. It is a life of bitterness. It is a life of envy. It is a life of wrath. It is not the life for you, dear Christians. You are those who know that God the Father's face shines on you. And so you are those who reflect that face into the world. I'm not saying that you have to walk around this place always with a saccharine smile on your face. Gotta smile, because pastor said we live under the smile of God. Don't be fake. But let the joy of your salvation shine out in your eyes. Let the joy of your salvation come out in your voice. Let the joy of your salvation be something that is seen in this world. That's what the difference would have made in those men's life. If you want to know how the parable goes on, if you want to know how the cliffhanger cliffhanger continues, then look into the life of the church. Be part of the life of the church and find here in this place the smile of God shining down on those whom he loves. To him be the glory now and always. Amen.